Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 39 of the 7 a.m. 50 day writing challenge for Strap Edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. This week we're talking about the awful, terrible, horrible middle ground of your book and trying to survive getting through that part without the book falling in the middle like a bad cake. Um, particularly today, we're talking about character and story arcs with authors Jennifer DeLeon and Patricia Park. Good morning, ladies. Hi, morning, Michelle. Good morning. So Jennifer DeLeon is the author of the YA novel, Don't Ask Me Where I'm From, and White Space, Essays on Culture, Race, and Writing. And she's also the editor of the award-winning anthology, Wise Latinas, Writers on, Writers on Higher Education. She is currently the visiting writer in the MFA in the Creative Writing Program at UMass Boston and the founder of StoryBridge LLC, a series of programs and workshops that bridge storytelling and diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging issues. Her next novel, Borderless, will be published by Simon & Schuster in April of 2023. And we've actually got two authors here that have new YA book coming out in the spring. So I'm very excited about this. Uh, Patricia Park is the author of Read Jane, a modern day retelling of Bronte's Jane Eyre, named the New York Times Book Review Editor's Choice, NPR's Fresh Air Pick, American Library Association Best Books, and others. Her debut novel, Imposter Syndrome and Other Confessions of Alejandra Kim is forthcoming in February of 2023. A, for, a former Fulbright scholar, Edith Wharton writer in residence and Jerome Hill artist fellow, she has written for the New York Times, New Yorker, Guardian and others. She is a professor of creative writing in American Univers University's MFA program. So both of these ladies have done a few things and are writing a few things. And I've actually, I have the, I'm so fantastic. I, I know both of them. I've been um, I, I, I was able to be part of, of working on Patty's first book. Um, so this is really fun for me. OK, in terms of we're talking today about story arcs, character arcs and other kinds of arcs. And we might just start off with how do you define what an arc is and how do you think of these things as you go into the process of your books? And I'm going to start with Patty. Patty, what do you think? you know, what is an arc? So much depends upon an arc. Um, I guess I can grasp for a few metaphors. Like it's like the clothesline that runs through your story. It's a roller coaster. It's a breadcrumb trail, Hansel and Gretel style. Yeah. And it's just a way of kind of tracking. Um, there has to be a shape and a sense of growth um, in, in order for you to show that. So if you're doing a character arc, um, their, their journey, their growth and how they've changed from page one to the end. Fantastic. Fantastic. Jen, what do you think? Um, I completely agree with Patty. I think about it as an arc, like physically, it's it's an arc, not a straight line. So there is some shape to it and there's movement. I keep thinking about um, movement and just the sense that there is growth, there's shape, things like Patty said are different at the end of the book, both for characters, for different elements that I know we'll get into, but also for the reader. You know, there's a different understanding that the reader has when they close the book than when they open it. So that's right. how I usually think about it. And I think movement is a, is a very important world, word because we're dealing with um, time, uh, which is one of the most difficult things in a novel, in a memoir, et cetera. Um, and so you have to convince us that we are crossing time in some way and the arc is gonna help you do that. It's, but it's gonna have to be characters in motion, in movement. Um, 
Okay, Patty, how do you think about arcs when you're going into the process of your books? Do, or do you even think about it as your first, um, you know, whittling away and typing away at your book? Do you do it later? How do you manage that? Um, I do. I think of them as like the anchors that you put in um, and, and you stack them across or maybe like mile markers, but not at each mile. Um, and so sometimes I just think about, all right, the relationship between the main character and another character. I know they start off bad it gets worse and then it get it ends in a better place. So that's the only three thing. Those are the only three things I know. And God help you right. figuring out how you can get from those things. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and so I think just kind of laying that or like driving those pikes. I don't even know what the metaphor is, right? Pikes or something. I think we can um, use various stakes. metaphors. Yes. yes. Yeah. This is, we're, it's 7 a.m. We haven't it's even 7 had We don't yet. even know what's happening. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, Henriette Lazarita, um, she she threw tons of wonderful absolute metaphors, and then we just mixed them all over the place, and that was very fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jen, how about you? Like when you're going into your work, are you even thinking about this stuff? Is it a revision point? Um, so typically, when I think about arcs and movement, I'm really grounded in the definition of story, which um, comes from anatomy of story. And I have a post-it of this definition right above my desk. So I'll read it to you right now. A story tracks what a person wants, what they will do to get it, and what costs they'll have to pay along the way. So I really think about that. And, and that anchor is kind of like, okay, what is this person striving for? What is the quest? What are they reaching for? What are the obstacles? So that helps me determine the, the character arc, the story arc. Then, of course, there will be secondary arcs, right, with uh, minor characters, relationships. But sometimes it's fun to think about arcs in terms of other, other aspects. So what I mean is in my YA novel, Don't Ask Me Where I'm From, Liliana, which is... was so good, so good. Everybody, oh go my out. gosh, <laughs> I love it. Read it for the second time. Read it for Fan the third time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Patty. Um, Liliana has a lot going on, right? Her main goal is like she's really trying to fit in at her new high school. She's part of a MECO program, but there's another story arc which is having to do with her father, who has recently been deported to Guatemala. And so, as the reader is turning the pages, there are these kind of breadcrumbs, like where the reader is putting together clues. What is happening? Like, is he going to make it back? Is he not? And there, there keeps, um, there's suspense, there's mystery, but there's also information being given to the reader throughout the narrative of, of his, um, the possibility of him coming back to the States. So there, there are different arcs. And then, you know, in my recent novel, there's a character who's interested, or she's a fashion designer, actually trashing, which is fashion made from trash. And so the arc, <laughs> it's so fun. And so the arc, there are many arcs in that novel, um, but one is the fashion itself. So she's working on these designs throughout the book. And again, the reader is able to track, oh, this is how the designs are developing. Oh, this is like, you know, how they're growing. Oh, there's a, you know, a, a problem with one of these designs. So then she has to pivot and, and figure something else out. And then at the end, or part of the end, there is the fashion show. So there are different kinds of arcs through objects, through setting, you know, you can use seasons, you can use kind of a simple example, but a garden, you know. Yeah, no, but it's really important because it shows yeah. time. Right, exactly, exactly. So that's kind of um, how I tend to think about it as well. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Michelle, Patty, one yeah. of the things, 
Oh, I was going to say, you know, I had the great fortune of studying with Michelle um, in the novel incubator for, for my first adult novel, Read Jane. And one of the things I loved that I really took away from your class, Michelle, was just thinking about you had us do an exercise like write out what the 20 most important scenes or whether they end up in the book or not, um, yeah. and then narrow to, to the five most important. And those are great anchors to just think about. Um, and those are exercises I do with my students as well. Um, and Jen, I think, you know, when with Don't Ask Me Where I'm From, what I loved is that, you know, Liliana, she was navigating all of the like, uh, the privilege and the, uh, um, you know, the, this kind of new school life. Um, and then the, the B, the B line, right, the B storyline, the father's line, it was so emotionally nourishing, um, because that was her home life. And, and so when things at school got overwhelming, as a reader, you could kind of turn to that storyline. Mm. And I felt that the two were in counterpoint. Um, and, and I thought that was something you managed really well. Um, and, and you see that a lot with with story structure, too, right? You've got the A storyline, but then a B subplot. Um, and and it, it, it doesn't get as much real estate. But mm. I would say that there's a, a quite a pulsing um, uh, kind of an emotional um, resonance with, right. with that B storyline. It's so interesting because um, I also started writing adult fiction and then kind of moved to young adult fiction. And when I started doing that, I read like 100 YA novels and during this residency I had at the Boston Public Library. And a lot of the common denominators were um, dialogue heavy, you know, sometimes present tense, first person, maybe close third, you know, all these elements. But one big one was that YA novels tend to have a lot of subplots. And it made sense because for young people, teens, like they have a lot going on. <laughs> it's like yeah. this, that, <laughs> this and that. And so if it made sense on a narrative um, level to have these many threads. And, and that's something that my editor, Caitlin DeLui at Simon & Schuster, she's amazing. And one thing she has helped me, I know, shout out to Caitlin. One thing that she <laughs> helped me with tremendously is threading these these arcs, because I feel like I can make the A arc, the B arc, maybe even a C and D arc, right? And then what will happen is I'll, I'll type, I'll write like all about the A story and then forget about it for a second and maybe go to the C story and then forget about it and go to D. And she'll really help me in revision um, and make sure that I have these threads constantly intersecting with each other and threading them throughout the chapters. So it's not like, you know, visor view on the A arc, and then you forget about it forever. And then visor view on the B arc, they really have to be um, intertwined to be believable. Um, it can't just be convenient for, for the author. Like, I feel like writing about this now. Um, so it's just something that comes up in revision. Um, and a, another aspect that I, I that has helped me is Anne Hood has this amazing concept of the plus minus. And, yeah. and I don't know if it's come up on the show before, but- Yeah, we've talked about it once, but go ahead. Okay, yeah. So she has this um, this idea where if a, if a chapter or a story or a novel starts in one place, it's helpful to think about it ending in a different place. So plus minus. So I think in her novel, I think it's called The Red Thread, the character literally starts a, the scene in a graveyard. And so they're on the ground 
and even below the ground. And so the final scene is of the character on an airplane bringing her new baby home from China. And so it's the opposite, right? It's the, the plus minus. So she's literally in the sky, in the air, which is a, a huge opposite of being on the ground. And she she mentioned this, and it's really helpful sometimes just to think about where scenes start, where they end, where the novel starts, where it ends. And you can show movement in that way too. That's interesting, even doing it on a, on a scene basis, because it reminds me of Aristotle's idea of the reversal, <clears throat> where like... Um, in uh, in uh, Oedipus, he's he's looking for the killer of the king, and then by the end, he finds out that he actually is the killer of the king. And so it's it, that sort of reversal or that sort of change of fortune. Um, we think of that over the the arc of the entire novel or play, um, but thinking about it in smaller terms of the scene is is I love that. And then so we've talked before, and what, what you're saying about this plus and minus, it does. So when people think about arcs, I've had people that haven't really been able to visualize that. And, and so far in the show, we've also talked about escalations, turning points, and consequences. So what you're looking for is a string of, seed, of, of scenes that um, each hopefully has a turning point or a moment of change. It can be very small moments of change, very subtle. And those moments of change affect the next scene uh, the, or the next bead, I guess you could think of it as a, as a row of beads on a necklace, that, that change will affect, affect or have consequence on the next bead, and that next scene will then have its own turning point, and that will then have consequence on the next bead. And as you move forward that way, you're basically escalating. You're escalating what's happening to the characters. You're escalating what's happening thematically even. Um, you're escalating the setting in some way. Um, and so that's what creates the, the energy or the drive or the engine behind this idea of the arc. Um, <clears throat> And uh, I mean, Patty, so you had such a such a complex story with Ari Jane with I always call it Ari Jane because we played with that in them um, in class reading um, and then your other novels. Um, I mean, did, were you, did you have moments in your books when you went back and you're like, oh, the arc has sunk in here. It's just fallen apart or it's just sunk in. And how did you how did you deal with that? Yeah, for sure. There were there were moments of stasis. And I think you only know once you assess and do an inventory, like what I call the um, <clears throat> the retroactive in outline or yeah. the inventory where and and this is something my my current editor always urges her authors to do too. You assess, you look at the 500 pages printed out and you sit there and you plot out. Okay, you write your bullets, scene 1, chapter 1, scene 1, this is what's happening. And once I did that, I saw you know, with, with Rejane, I saw that there were like four, you know, coffee talk scenes with um, Jane and, and another and another um, au pair in, in, in Brooklyn. And I'm like, why do I have four coffee coffee talk scenes, which I delighted in writing because, um, you know, that character Nina was like a no BS uh, native, native Brooklynite. And I was just telling it like it is, but that was fun for me to write, but it didn't go anywhere. So I looked at it and I assisted and I'm like, Oh, you know, I've got to combine, I've got to Boltron these four scenes into one awesome one. And then, and then you create the summary surrounding it, right. To show the passage of time, because completely underlining what you said, Michelle, showing the passing of time is one of the most difficult things to manage in, in long form prose. Um, yeah, so I love I, it. I so to... I, in my most recent book that I've been working on, it's a historical number. Every, everyone's having tea. 
I'm like, why the hell is everyone having tea? They're just all they're all sitting around having tea. So the, so the idea of that reverse outline, combining those scenes to give them more energy, combining anything in a novel can give it more energy, uh, settings, character, anything. But that that definitely works so much. Um, keep going, Patty. I, I think I interrupted you. You're, you're on fire. No, no. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, I'm awake now. <laughs> you're yeah. awake. But I... It's funny, Jen, what, what you said, Caitlin said, because my editor, Phoebe, said the exact opposite thing to me. She's like, you have too many things happening in, in your YA novel. You have the A storyline, the concrete desire of this character just trying to get into the college of her dreams in Maine. And the uh, emotional storyline, which is just, she just she wants to belong. She feels like an imposter, hence imposter syndrome. Is she Korean? Is she Latinx? Is she Argentine? Is she American? Um, is she a a, you know, a progressive prep schooler, or is she a scholarship kid from Queens? Um, and the main two pulls was the best friend from 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 Quaker Oats Prep, um, Laurel, and then um, her best friend from back home in Jackson Heights, Billy, aka Guillermo Diaz. And those two were her kind of moral compasses, right? Um, or her continual code switching. But Billy didn't show up until page eighty of a 300 page novel, right? <laughs> um, nearly a third a in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My editor's like, this is a problem. I'm like, but he was in the Dominican Republic. He like couldn't get back in time, you know? And she's like, she bring him care. up sooner. <laughs> <She's still there." laughs> Logistical concerns um, don't matter. Get him in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And just thinking about story arc, like how are you going to gain momentum for a story if the character doesn't arrive until a yeah. third of the way in? Um, so, so that was, you know, and, and some of that, I moved him up, cut some of those coffee talk, you know, this version of coffee talk chapters, <laughs> and then um, um, adds, added some texts and, and, you know, other kinds of technology in order to, to grasp at that relationship. And then that, that's helping you create that, that sense of movement, right? The tracking of, of the mile markers to, to show progressions in the relationship. Awesome. Awesome. And so what it makes me think of, so <clears throat> I, have, I have a lot of students ask me, particularly if they're doing multiple points of views or if they're following multiple storylines, do I have, have to have an arc for each one? I'm like, oh, hell yes, you do. Um, yes. Yeah, you do, because they're all going to affect each other. They're all going to hold each other up. Um, just like you said, Jane, and Jen, you, you said that that when even you or even readers, if they, they felt too closed in or claustrophobic to one point of view, uh, then, then it was helpful to have the, the other point of view. Um, and that also, I think, and Jen, you can talk, talk, speak to this too, the difficulty of handling all those various arcs, but, and also the idea of characters without agency, because I think this speaks to um, certain characters that, that that come from marginalized communities or and or just teenagers in general, because they don't have agency. So I'm wondering if we need those additional arcs or need to pay attention more to the power of the arc with characters without agency or younger characters. Jen, what do you think? Again, these big questions I like to throw at people at 7.20 a.m. now. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, I definitely think that the young people or, or young characters, you know, um, what did Ernest Hemingway say? There are no characters, there are only people. Um, they do have agency, I definitely think. Uh, and writing them, it depends on the story, right? I guess if like the story is about them, a lot of young adult fiction has to do with coming of age. So you do wanna show the obstacles and how they're struggling externally, emotionally with identity, with so much of their place in the world. 
and positionality and they can still have agency in different aspects of their lives, but mm-hmm. maybe not in all of them. So like Liliana feels confident at home. She's like running things. She, she, she feels like that's her place, but then she goes to this fancy school that's a predominantly white school and she suddenly is kind of having an identity crisis similar to to Patty's character, right? To Alejandra. And it's it's a place for her to be tested and for her to a chance for her to grow. So I think having these these different arcs with the secondary characters or with, you know, for instance, here's an example, a concrete example. Um, Liliana at the beginning of her journey in this new school does not raise her hand in class. She is like, hell no, I'm not speaking up. Don't even call on me, don't look at me. And some conversations come up, discussions about race and class and immigration. And it's very, it's testing her. Like she wants to speak up so much. She doesn't want to be like that person in class who's got all the things to say about race and class and and Mm -hmm. immigration. Mm -hmm. She doesn't speak up. She holds it in. But later on in the book, like three quarters of the way, we're in that same history class with the same kids and the same teacher. And another issue comes up about uh, language and she just can't hold it in. And so she does, her leg is shaking and she's like, oh my gosh. And she raises her hand and she does speak out. So there's showing uh, movement and growth in that way. And the arc, I guess it's like, you know, Ben Percy has this great craft essay in um, Thrill Me, essays on fiction, yeah, uh, rhyming action. I think it's called Consider the Orange. Um, yeah. He talks about how you use settings and return to them and repeat them, but they have different meaning each time you return to them. So like in this example, the setting would, would be the um, history class at her high school. And so you use that as um, a way to show growth or change or passage of time in ways that aren't telling, like you're showing. So yeah. he uses examples of the, the objects like the orange and how that can gain momentum up it doesn't make sense right now, the orange, but if you read this craft essay, it's amazing. I think the orange is changing. Yeah. So like every time the orange comes up, it is rotting, I think, or, or yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and then the, the idea is, and it's, yeah, I love, I love that you've re- referenced a book. I've, I've referenced it before. Thrill me by Benjamin Percy. Um, he has a bunch of excellent essays on it and, and it works for people writing both literary and genre works because he's really always been trying to straddle both of them and is and, and gets really annoyed at people that that are snobby about that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> but using also as few settings as possible so that you can repeat them so that you can create an arc. Um, and so so again, combination of what you already have, of the many things you already have, can help you actually fulfill the arcs better, um, just like the combination of scenes that Patty was talking about. Um, <clears throat> Patty, have you had to deal with that? Like, so I, a character without agency doesn't, doesn't mean that they don't want things and doesn't mean that they're not going to be, you know, hitting themselves up against the wall trying to get it, right? And, I, and so I, how have you dealt with that? Um, I think that's where you use interiority of the character, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I like first person so much because, and, and often, uh, you know, not to make it a, a, a race thing, but uh, okay. But uh, with BIPOC characters, I think so often the gaze was the white gaze looking at BIPOC characters. I write about um, 
either second generation or first generation folks. And a lot of times they are just viewed through this, they kind of are um, inscrutable, they're unknowable, but that's mm. to the Western eye mm-hmm. and with the first person narration. So Jen with like Lily sitting in the history classroom and she's, but she's fuming on the inside. And the reason why we feel invested in her journey is anyone staring at her on the outside is like, oh, what's this quiet, like the quiet Mexican girl, which, you know, obviously she's not Mexican. Um, and yet inside she has such a rich internal life and has so much agency. And I think this is how a lot of quote unquote characters without agency um, uh, possess agency because it's that struggle between their internal um, their internal monologue and then whether they're able to express it in dialogue I and love speak that. out and take action. I love that. And, and then, and then tracking that internal dialogue and, and the writer really paying attention to how is their internal world changing um, and, and, and making sure that you're inside the character enough so that you can get that interior interiority, right? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, there's something else I also wanted to touch upon. So, so Matthew Solis in his great book, um, craft in the real world speaks about, again, the difference between a character arc. And so we've talked about different kinds of arc. You can have setting arcs, you can have theme arcs, you can have mystery arcs. So he talks about the difference between a character arc and a story arc. So the character is achieving something. And, but then the, the world of the story also, what, what is the world of the story, the difference between the beginning and the middle of the end and how has it changed? So he references Curious George, I don't know this particular story, but he but he says that in Curious George, he and his owner or pet owner, a guy or friend, um, are having a, are have had been divided or or upset each other or having a fight or something. Something's happening that's divided them, and so they go through various adventures. And by the end, they're together and they're all happy. And so the character arc is is positive in that way. It starts negative, as Anne Hood would say, and then it ends up positive. However, in this in the story world, um, I think Curious George has actually stolen an artifact from somewhere in I don't know Rwanda that I bet the Rwandese really wanted. You know, <laughs> he's stolen this thing, and um, and also something other terrible is happening in the world. Like there's like there's some like climate disaster. I don't I can't remember what it is, but the world is going negative, and so by the end of the story, you've got these characters going, "Oh yay, we're together! This is fantastic!" And the world is falling apart, <laughs> and and the author does not seem to own up to that. So, so that's important too, as well, if you're thinking both of those arcs, what is the, what is the world of the story and what is the character's story and, and how do they overlap and how are they going to give you what you want to say? I don't think he was, that author was in charge of, of making a commentary about how we as individuals um, make gains while the world falls apart. I don't think that's what he's actually doing. Um, but as authors, you can think about that in terms of what you want to say in your work, how those two interplay with each other and to get across your thematic um, um, ideas and, and to pay attention to how those arcs intersect with each other. Um, all right. I think we're going to have to go. I'm going to have to let these guys go. Do you have any final thoughts, Jen or Patty, about arcs? Or, or um, we I just want to sh- back to their desk. Yeah, Patty, go for it. Share a quick, quick image. I think it yeah, was Kelly fabulous. Robertson, another incubator who had this wonderful spreadsheet of her big of her stories. Yes, yes. And then there was a the, uh, color coded tracking 
different characters and their arcs. And I think there might've been a plus and minus as well for the emotional charge. I may have tacked that on or I may have been there. So I just want to leave us with that wonderful image. I mean, using visuals to allow yourself to be able to track these arcs because it's something that you have to lift out of the narrative. Absolutely. And it has to become visual. And that's just another way to, to be able to look at your book in a different way, make it strange to yourself. Jen, how about you? Last brilliant Uh, words. Definitely a visual person. And I've made those outlines before with the colored post-its and everything. And I, I do it mostly now, like I try to in my head and then count on readers to, to help me track the, the threads. And I'll say that, it can be overwhelming sometimes in revision to think about all of the arcs at once. So it's okay to just print out your manuscript or, you know, even if it's just a chunk of it and read it for the setting arc, read it for the mom arc or the teacher's arc. Are they always hitting the same note, the same note? If so, then there's an opportunity to like disrupt it, to add some texture, change it up. And you don't have to write the whole thing and revise the whole thing in one session. You know, you can really kind of compartmentalize and and revise with these um, specific eyes towards specific things. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And, and, and I advise that too. So you're just looking for one particular problem or one particular art in one particular read through as you read through, if your mind starts to go into other things, keep a notebook next to you, take a note of it, you know, oh, Fred and Lisa are doing this. No, I'm not looking at Fred and Lisa. I'm looking at Dawn and Jane. Um, Make a note of it and then go back to what you were concentrating on to begin with. Yeah, perfect. Okay, tomorrow we're going to talk about fun and games in the midpoint with Sarah Shukla and Annie Hartnett. And if you are local to Boston, uh, we have an event for you um, tomorrow as well. You can join me. Jane Roper, Crystal King, Virginia Pye, Whitney Share, Anjali Meter-Duva, and Susan Bernhard, and many, many other authors. We're all doing book signings for holiday gift giving, and that will be in Arlington at the Roasted Granola Cafe um, from 2 to 5, and I'll be there starting at 3.30, and you can come and bug me about any number of things that have happened on the show if you wish. If you support what we're doing, please share, follow, and rate our 7 a.m. podcast. You can find it on Substack or other podcast platforms, and you can find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Patty and Jen, amazing to have you on here with us. I'm so glad. Are you going to get good writing done today, you ladies? Yeah, we're up and ready to go, right? Up and ready I to know. go. Well, what else are you going to do? What else could you possibly do? Okay, everyone, have a fantastic writing day. It's good to see you. sift for a love in the sand Like a leaf inside the wind And you go where it tells you to go But you never wonder why There is nothing here 